Kia ora and a very big welcome back to the Destinate NZ show. I'm Michelle Caldwell and today we're heading to Christchurch to talk with the incredible Lauren Aberhart. But first, Happy New Year! I truly hope that you all had a wonderful break and managed to get some quality time in with your families. 2020 sure threw us a few curveballs, so let's hope we all get back on track this year and maybe even get some more travel in. I'm still hanging out for my trip back home to Brisbane to see my folks, so hopefully that's now only a month or three away. My fingers and toes are crossed. Now, you've probably noticed that Chambers isn't here with me, but don't worry, she is in the interview that we have lined up for you today with Lauren from Christchurch NZ. It's a great yarn and a little bit longer than our normal shows, but as you will see, we just had so much to talk about. This interview was recorded late last year before we went off on our Christmas break, so we hope you enjoy and we hope that it sets you off into a great mood for 2021. And don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review, especially if you're listening in on Apple. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. We've got some great plans for 2021 and lots of exciting things coming up. So you really don't want to miss any of the shows that we've got planned for you. But enjoy the interview now with Lauren and we'll talk to you soon. Kia ora, we have a very special guest lined up for our first episode of 2021. Starting with a bang, welcome to the show, Toho Hare Lauren Aberhart. Kia ora koutou, Toho Hare, Happy New Year, well done. Thank you. That was my first attempt at it. I hope I pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, that was really well done, Chambers. And Happy New Year, Lauren, and welcome to the show. We've wanted to get you on here for a long time now, but it's great to have you here kicking off 2021 in style, as we like to do. So look, you're no stranger to most of our friends in the tourism industry who are listening in, but some may not know your very interesting work history. So can you start by giving us just a little bit of background on who Lauren is and how you got into tourism as a career. Well, I, I rebelled against my parents by becoming a law student. So they told me that I'd be, <laughs> I'd be a, a dreadful lawyer. And you know when you know that your parents are right, but you want to prove them wrong. So you go through with, with your law degree and become a lawyer and then discover that actually it's horrible and you don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so fortunately, I'd also done uh, a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and, and a bit of marketing. And I saw a job uh, advertised with the World of Wearable Art Awards show in Wellington. And and so I pitched to them that I could do their marketing at a fraction of the cost that their marketing manager, who was about to go on maternity leave, would cost. <laughs> and somehow they fell for it. And that was sort of my first foray, I guess, into the exciting world of colour, that is tourism and events. And then I sort of just moved uh, through a few opportunities. I was with Nelson Tasman Tourism as international marketing manager for a number of years. And that was my first true foray into what I would call real tourism. 
and it was absolutely amazing. Uh, then I, I moved into a, a role as General Manager of Tourism and Events for Nata Passport in Auckland, then as Special Projects Manager uh, running tourism outcomes from major events with ATED, and now I'm General Manager of Destination and Attraction at Christchurch NZ. But ultimately, for me, it's about my personality style and the people of tourism and how we're just a match made in extroverted heaven. So that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've also had a bit of time on the television, Lauren. Yes, I, I thought that most people would have forgotten about that, but I was in the supermarket <laughs> the other week and a lady uh, told me that she loved me on the show. So that was seven years ago. So <laughs> I still got it. She asked you for a comeback? <laughs> God, no. <laughs> <laughs> that seven years has gone very quickly. It doesn't seem Gosh, like hasn't it? Go at all. I know, but if you looked at it now, you'll see how much I have aged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. And if you have, we have, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, luckily no one can see that right now. So anyway, Lauren, you've been a very passionate advocate for women in leadership and also Māori women in leadership, even more so Māori women in leadership. So was there one thing in particular that led you on this path or was it always like that for you? Look, honestly, it's... Something I'm just deeply passionate about. I had never, growing up, I had a, a strong mother and, and my dad was a very passionate equalist, not necessarily a feminist. Mm-hmm. But as I sort of got older, I started to see some of the disparities and without knowing um, how to put them into words, even at sort of 12, 13, I started to recognise that there was elements of discrimination in in everyday life that happen for women. And I went to an all-girls school. I had leadership roles within that um, high school experience, which really led me to see that for the greater good of our society, it's incredibly important that women are equally represented, that we're we're paid equally, but also that, you know, other ethnicities and full diversity around sexuality and gender identity are are incredibly important. So I think I've had things happen that haven't been great, like being told I'm the trifecta on a board, which means I'm under 40, I'm Māori and a woman. So (laughs) that's stuff that you kind of joke about and they are increasingly just not okay anymore. No, but you know, Good on, well, say what if you are, but good. Yeah. <laughs> you are the um, trifecta, which is great, but that's not a reason <laughs> to put you in that place. Yeah, and I think you always hear the argument, right, best person for the job, and absolutely best person for the job, but only if everyone comes from an equal platform and you're judging them without bias and you truly are considering who the best person for the job is and not just if they are just like you, so I don't know, mm. university educated or Pākehā or a man or of a certain socioeconomic group. So I think as I've just gotten older, I've become more vocal about standing up for everyone's rights, but most especially women's. Yeah, I think that's great. I actually saw something on LinkedIn today and it reminded me of you. Somebody was posing the question about taking a look around you if you're a leader in in an organization and just having a look around and what do the people around you sitting in your leadership team look like and if they look like you you've got a bit of a problem because where that diverse thought and I guess the 
differences that shine and the conversations that we have come out of diversity of thought and diversity of people. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was quite an interesting sort of... Well, a, a Harvard research study recently found that diverse governance boards lead to between 15 and 25% greater profit and revenue in private sector organisations than boards that don't have diversity. Mm. Well, surely you'd be able to connect with more people if there's more diversity anyway, right? I mean, Absolutely, yeah. You can, you can start understanding where somebody's needs are coming from if you've got that diversity sitting at the table telling you where they're coming yeah. from or at least have a connection with that. Mm. And I think um, if people are wondering about their own bias, because we all have it, I have it too, everyone has bias, I absolutely recommend just Googling the Harvard bias test. They've got a range of bias tests which challenge your views of your own bias so you can do them on everything from wealth gender ethnicity transgender sexuality gender identity you name it you can do a bias test and i've worked my way through them all they're about 15 minutes each and there's probably about 20 of them so over the course of the year i've worked my way through them all and i've got heaps to work on but it's about acknowledging that and going on that journey and saying, you know, I've got bias and I need to work through that. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing worse. I know I've actually been interviewed for a board that I didn't take up the position, but it was made very clear that I was being interviewed because A, I was female and B, I was a marketer. And it just didn't sit right with me that that's the only reason they weren't interviewing me because they thought I was amazing in my work history and experience and my achievements were great. It was just the fact that I was female and I ticked that box for them. And this is the challenge we have, right? Because yeah. we want women to have a seat at that table. So do we take that seat at the table because it's being offered to us, but we feel like it's a hand out yep. or, and so how do we find that balance of stroking our own egos enough to say, I deserve to be here, but also helping all the women coming after us to move forwards by being the first woman at that table. And it's mm. such a, like, I don't know, the juxtaposition between those two scenarios is really difficult. And I struggle with that myself because when I got called the trifecta, I went, oh, ouch, ouch, that really hurts. But I stayed on that board because the people after me could, there could be three people, right? There could be a yep. young person, a yep. woman, and a Māori. And if I've opened that door for them, or if I've opened that board's eyes to the value that a younger Māori woman could bring to the table, then great. So I just, I don't have an answer. It's just this paradox. I agree with you. And I think times are changing a lot. Chambers and I were um, chatting about this a few weeks ago and looking at some of the changes that have happened over the past 10 years. And I look at the opportunities that have been provided and given to some, particularly for some of the younger people in our industry that would never have been offered to somebody at that age when I was that age, you know, and, and it's not, that's not a gender thing. That's purely an age and experience thing. But I think we have started to break down a few of those barriers and things are moving in the right direction. And yeah. let's hope it just keeps going. Cause yeah, we need, we obviously need to keep working on it. I think, and we also celebrated that the female prime minister again, and then we had yeah. two females running for it. And it was mentioned that it, it should just be a norm 
and it will be a norm, but the changing has happened right now. And, and mm. exactly what you were saying, Lauren, is like, should we be celebrating that? Because it should be a norm. But at the same time, it will be a norm. We just have to celebrate the first steps being taken. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's a nice little segue into our next question, Lauren. Are you able to share some tips for our female listeners who may be starting out in their career now? And what advice would you give them? Oh, I mean, um, I, oh God, advice is so terrifying, right? (laughs) (laughs) It is. Maybe just Um, some tips then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, there's no straight line to the finish. Everything is circuitous and you have to navigate your way through it. And I would absolutely say that setbacks are as important as the steps that you take forwards. Uh, I didn't get to this role in a straight line. I got turned down for a lot of, I was in roles where I was unhappy, where they didn't feel quite right. It's all kind of part of the experience. And if you can take each of those pieces as part of the journey and put it together in the puzzle, then you can only grow as a person. And eventually, just like finding a man or a woman or any kind of partner Mm -hmm. um, or friend, you have to trial to find the right one for you. Yeah. And it takes, it takes a risk to put yourself out there when you go for roles to put yourself forwards. And because it's a partnership, you need to find the right person to take a risk on you as well. And that's what I've found in my career is that my truly great career opportunities have been where someone has seen the potential in me and nurtured that, and certainly in this job in particular, I've had that opportunity where potentially I was a bit of a wild card. I was very young for the role, probably compared to other people, but my chief executive saw something in me and she wanted to take a chance. Mm. So, yeah, and, and so my other advice would be be yourself, you know, be authentic, but that particularly in this industry, Kanohi ki kanohi, you know, face to face, it's about people, it's about who you know. So, yeah, if you're shy, then maybe get onto Michelle's Facebook chat group and <laughs> get behind the keyboard and get to know some people. <laughs> yeah, I like the comment that you made there on taking a risk, and it is just about being brave isn't it sometimes you know you look at roles that are advertised and you might be sitting there going oh I don't know if I'm really ready for that or I don't know if I've got the experience but sometimes you just have to put yourself out there and you'll be surprised with what comes back to you and you can thrive in that environment I know I look back on some of the opportunities that were presented to me and I'm not that old but obviously I'm older than both of you girls but and I sit there and I think oh maybe I should have jumped at that and I don't have regrets but I do wonder what path that might have led me on had I have jumped at some of those opportunities instead of just being comfortable where I was at at mm. the time. So, yeah. I'd be okay with knockbacks. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah. then reassess and move, move forward. I, I feel like career progression, almost sometimes the best thing you can do is apply for a job and not get it. Because you've actually taken that time to reflect on your own skill set, your own CV, and what it is you liked about that role or don't like about your current role or both. Yep. And that helps you move forwards for the next one. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great yeah. advice. I agree with that. That is too. great advice. Yeah. <laughs> that is great advice. And get feedback as to why you didn't get it. Yeah, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lauren, you're currently the GM destination and attraction at Christchurch NZ. What does that entail and what do you love most about your role? So destination and attraction is kind of this catch-all phrase, which means anything and everything. (laughs) So I feel like whenever they came up with that title, they were like, what could we throw into this that might kind of stick? So I have within my portfolio, tourism, major events, business events, international education, the eyesight, destination development, and kind of making sure that Christchurch and Canterbury is a great place to visit, and also a whole lot of Canterbury RTO partnerships that we manage as well. So it's a hugely diverse role, really interesting team, incredibly interesting destination. I think one of the things that attracted me to that role was that it really felt like I had an opportunity to leave a legacy Christchurch is in such an interesting time right now where it's just exiting the final phase of the rebuild and it's platforming itself really into the 21st century much more than anywhere else I think in New Zealand in particular. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the things that we get to do in our team are, are really meaningful and, and that's a really lovely thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, and I also just have an awesome team of people that I get to turn up and work with every day. We've got a great camaraderie going on, lots of banter, mostly aimed at me, (laughs) renowned for being like the office health and safety hazard. So (laughs) I wasn't going to go there. (laughs) Dress is on fire. Um, (laughs) Accident prone, Lauren. (laughs) I know, I know, really. Like, yeah. So so we have some... In a mild way, can we add? In a mild way. So actually it's it's quite good because then you can assess the situation and make sure that doesn't happen again. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) No. So yeah, I guess I think the thing that I love about it, which to purist tourism people might sound like sacrilege, but I really love that my team can pull levers across the visitor economy to support visitation. So I really love that we're not just focused on leisure tourism and kind of working in international markets on inbound visitation and and doing um, destination marketing. They are parts of what we do. Like we do big destination marketing campaigns. We do offshore work. You know, we work with airlines. We work with travel trade partners. But that's not the whole sum of what we do. We also work through reducing seasonality through partnerships with business events and conferences and securing really big major events for the city, which drive huge economic impact in the short term. And then working with international students and sort of that longer term pace. And all of those things form one part or another of the visitor economy. And I I like that holistic view. Mm. And that that must have been quite nice, particularly this year, to have that diversity, because I think if you were just focused on inbound tourism, and we've had a chat with a couple of inbound operators, it would be a a pretty devastating place to be this year, or last year, I should say, (laughs) early in the new year, so... (laughs) But Christchurch may have looked at a bigger picture there. And I love the fact that you can utilize those levers and pull them across. And it's not just about leisure tourism. It is about like, actually, if you have a big event that pulls people 
either domestically or internationally. In fact, Shane said it on his podcast with Hobbiton um, and owning the Hobbiton birthday and having that brings international people in for that one day. Like, who would have thought one event could do that? But it can do that. And that's great that Christchurch has seen that bigger picture, I think. Yeah. And I think events also drive a lot of kind of resident pride. So you don't have as many issues around social license to operate when your community is really proud of what's happening too. Yeah. And they often are with events. Yep. We see that a lot in Taupo, obviously having the Ironman every year and the Round the Lake Cycle Challenge, two of our biggest events. And, you know, I mean, the number of volunteers from our local community who get in behind that, it's incredible. And you don't really hear any whinging about road closures it's it's just everyone embraces it it's yeah it's a really cool weekend but yeah so lauren one of the things i'm interested in because auckland christchurch and a few other rtos and edas have kind of merged into this bigger picture role do you see that that's going to be a thing in the future that other regions embrace or do you think they should be embracing that approach or is it just a big city option? Yeah, I think, I mean, that is a discussion that's very much being had across the board at the moment. And I think when you look at what COVID has done to destinations like Queenstown, where there is a sole focus on tourism, they may look to, and I don't know, I have no idea what what they're planning on doing, but they Mm -hmm. may look to establish themselves as a TEED just to support greater economic diversity for sustainability of their township. I mean, the Regional Events Fund has gone to the regional tourism organisations. So, you know, those RTOs have now had to move into the event space if Mm. if they weren't already. And and I think economic development, where it's the primary driver for tourism is the primary driver for a township, then really it probably makes sense. Yeah. The challenge you get in small places is if you're just stretching the resource too thin. So if you've got an RTO and they've got one person and a tiny budget, then if you ask them to do economic development as well, it's it's kind of a stretch too far. Oh, totally. It, yeah. It works in places like cities where we are resourced well. Do you think we've got too many RTOs? Yes, I do. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. I do yeah. too. I, I, I say that pretty vocally. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I say that I say that to my neighbouring RTOs because yeah. we don't have. I mean, I don't have a view on Christchurch and Z versus other RTOs, but I just think it's an inefficient system to have thirty-two RTOs in a country Same. of five million people, in in a country that is so geographically challenged as well. I think where there's low budgets and low capability in small regions, you, you could create better efficiencies. We've got a model that has needed some work but but does work quite well which is where we essentially are contracted by districts in Canterbury to run their RTO Mm -hmm. and that works really well because what we're able to do is employ high caliber people in the district so that they're on the ground they're hearing the local voice they're understanding the local needs they're also creating the content because tourism is inherently local like you need new imagery new content, what's the weather doing today, you know, how's the mountain looking, you need that local stuff, but we um, run as a centralised agency kind of all the overheads, so the strategic planning, the data and insights, all of the IT services, the digital content, the 
comms, the marketing. So we run the machine and the representatives out in the district, so Mackenzie, Mid-Canterbury, they're very much part of our team, but they're local representatives and yeah. it's a good model. Yeah, I, I do like that model. I must admit, I've been a, a pretty vocal advocate for merging a few RTOs up in this part of the world as well, because I think we've just got too many. And, mm. and like you say, I do like that Christchurch NZ model. I've got a few clients down that way. And so I've been engaging with it a little bit more than I have in the past. And I think it, yeah, I think it works and it makes sense. So be interesting. You, you also run the risk, I think, of if with that many RTOs, and I work for a local government agency, clearly, you run the risk of us getting that reputation where we just we are slow local government agencies mm. that are under-resourced and just in a job for the sake of it. Yeah. And we are spending rate pays money and it's really important to be really efficient with it. Yep. But I also think smaller RTOs are always going to struggle to get bang for their buck in an international competing against the bigger RTOs or IMAs or whatever that else that could be out there promoting that with such small, tiny budgets, especially if it's a small region, normally means that there's going to be a small population, small amount of ratepayers. Like they do an amazing job with what they can do, you know, and whereas when if it was set up a bit more like this scheme and there's actually a greater benefit in it but I think the way that Christchurch New Zealand have run it and are running it at the moment is actually testament and maybe when the word gets out there that there is actually a benefit in having your own RTO just because you're a small region doesn't mean you have a voice you're actually a part of a bigger voice if you join in to the bigger RTO and have somebody on the ground contracting brought in because the contracting sits with the bigger RTO mm. rather than that one person being on their own trying to do it all. But I think that's half the problem. We've talked about regional dispersal and you've got these small RTOs who don't have a budget to go offshore and can't participate. So they're almost like the hole in the map. Whereas if you, if you married it up and had five mega RTOs, EDA, whatever you wanted to call them, them. Mm. or five or six for the whole country, then I think you would start to see a little bit more of that regional dispersal happening because everybody would get their share of voice rather than a little RTO sitting in the middle of the South Island that has one person and not many ratepayers to fund them can't go offshore so they kind of get missed on the itineraries. I don't know, maybe that's a, a utopia view of the world, but... But it also raises the point, you know, what do low rate ratepayer bases do in terms of tourism funding? Because yeah. I, I think the marketing argument is is less valid in that case, but because we have Tourism New Zealand or theoretically there could be big RTOs, but yeah. you know, central government has to consider what low ratepayer base areas are able to do in the tourism space. And I look at Mackenzie as a classic example where they're in desperate need of infrastructure support and that needs to come from central government. They can't come from their very low rate power base. Yeah. Yeah. Ruapehu is a little bit the same up in, in this part of the world. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So Lauren, resilience is a word that we used a lot in 2020. And I don't think anyone understands the meaning of resilience more than the people of Christchurch. You've had a huge part of leading a team and industry through some real challenges down there, some real tragedies as well. So if you reflect back on this experience, what advice can you share with our listeners as we start the new year? Yeah, it's... um. 
I actually wrote a, a column uh, recently sort of about this because I have noticed this year that our response to COVID-19 has been quite different to mm. most other destinations. Resilience is about, it's not about not feeling things. So resilience is getting knocked back, feeling things. But being resilient is also about how quickly you're able to stand back up or mm -hmm. rebuild. Yep. And how dented or broken you are by that impact. And then I also really like the meaning of the word crisis. The meaning of the word crisis is decisive moment. So it doesn't necessarily mean something bad, uh, but it, it does mean that it's something that you have to respond to and something that has happened in a point in time where you, you need to react. So I guess I would say that Christchurch is ready to be done with the word resilient. In some ways we consider... COVID-19, the great equaliser for our destination. Uh, my analogy with my team has been that if the tourism industry was an alcoholic, we would be the sponsor of their recovery. <laughs> great analogy. Because <laughs> we're, you know, we've gone on the Alcoholics Anonymous journey already. Hang on a second. Can I just, if? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> On your zero um, alcohol beer that you're yeah. drinking. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so we're we're kind of schooled in how to do that. But I think you know we have to accept that increasingly our world is changing. It's become pretty crazy, and and we all have to become a lot better at uh, being able to deal with crises. I think my observation, having led the team through, uh, yeah, a few horrible things, but most of particularly um, March the 15th, has been the importance of looking after, every, after your mental health and after looking after your mental health first um, before you worry about anything else. I made the mistake of worrying about everyone and everything else after the shootings and Unfortunately for me, I got I was in the bit of the wrong place at the wrong time and I got trapped in my car and I couldn't get to my son who at the time was two and a half and in his preschool mm. and the people were calling out on the radio saying there's a car bomb in, oh, in Sydney, which is where we live, where the preschool, all sorts of horrible stuff, you know? Yeah. And then I just went straight into work response mode. So we had to deal with 400 inbound international media, multiple inbound delegates, the, including like the king of Qatar who needed a bulletproof vehicle, which by the way, doesn't exist in New Zealand, I now know. We delivered, we buried 42 people in 27 funerals in three days, oh. two memorial services in one week, just all sorts of stuff like that. And about three weeks after the final memorial event, which was on the 17th of April, I just kind of had this crash and burn day on a Saturday. It was like the first weekend day I hadn't worked and suddenly I felt like I had no purpose. Mm. And that was me realizing that I hadn't looked after myself in that period in time. So yeah, yeah, I would say you absolutely have to look after yourself. And also it's a marathon. It's absolutely not a sprint. Don't burn yourself out in the first few days. And I think we saw that during COVID. I think people really were like, action, action, got to do something, got to react, got to respond. What am I going to do? I'm going to get a campaign out, going to get, do a YouTube video. I'm going to do a message for my stakeholders. I'm going to 
um, check my budget. I'm going to check my budget again. I'm going to call central government and ask them for money. I'm going to call central government and ask them for money again. I'm going to call the minister and say, what are you doing? And, um, and he didn't answer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and in Christchurch, I felt like we all just kind of took a bit more time to respond. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was told about the post-earthquake time um, from some of my team that were here then was that apparently they put a, des a really expensive destination marketing campaign out like about three months after the camp after the earthquakes yeah, to did. try and promote visiting Christchurch. And yeah, there was almost nothing here. Wow. And it was just so that they felt like they were doing, doing something. Because people need to feel like they have something to do in a crisis. So that would be my second tip. Find something for people to do. But just don't make sure it's the wrong, exhausting thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Can I ask, Lauren, you, you mentioned that on that Saturday, and I think I'd just really like to embrace this at, at, at this point in time, is that you said on that first Saturday when you didn't ha have to go into work, that's when you broke down and you realized that you hadn't looked after yourself. What steps did you then take to make sure you did look after yourself? Who did you reach out to? And did was anybody else reaching out to you? I just... You know, if there's other people listening, because we've got all kinds of things going on in our lives, it just, it'd be really great to have a few mm. tips around that. And if not now, we can take forward into the future if we ever do need that. Yeah, I actually, uh, we have access to EIP, Employee Assistance Program through work, nice. which ironically, I'd been advising all of my staff to do. I'd organise grief counselling for all of them. I'd been answering the phone at all hours to them. I'd been like, you know, everything's fine, I'm here for you, and forgot that actually I also need someone there for me. And and so fortunately, my sister is a psychologist, which is very helpful, <laughs> but uh, professional help. I mean, so I rang her on that day when I felt like I was having an absolute, oh my God, what do I do when I'm not trying to, you know, deal with this crisis? Mm. And she was like, you need to come for a walk with me. So we walked she was like, you need to do exercise because you need to burn off this anxious energy. We went for a huge hill walk. I was very unfit at the time. It was very unpleasant, might I add. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked and we worked through a focus for me to be able to cope. One of the things she recommended was not to stop working, but go to work from a nine to five and then switch off and then plan a holiday. Once I had managed to wean myself off that work so don't just cut it like oh I'm going to stop working right now but actually reduce your workload to a point where you've still got something to focus on at work and plan a holiday so you've got something to look forward, look forward to, to. Yeah. yeah. And also keeping that work thing is that's great advice because keeping that work thing in gives you that purpose, which when you're yeah. feeling anxious is exactly what you need and exercise, yeah. go push yourself, go for that walk, even if it's only for 10 minutes. And then after 10 minutes, you want to keep going, keep going, you know, like yeah. walk the block six times, who cares? Yeah. And then have, yeah, you're absolutely right. That goal of, okay, well, I'm going to have a weekend here and I'm going to go and see these special people of mine or this special place or whatever it might be is yeah thanks for those tips it's really important and that goes to everybody on a daily basis yeah and I think one of the things right now in COVID is is it has been so sustained and so long 
And that's really hard if you own a business or you've got your life savings or, and you're just trying to wait and hold out for the hope. And I think it's our role as a regional tourism organization, not to be the light at the end of the tunnel because no one can be that, but to be the support system and the hope and the glimmer to keep our operators, particularly our small and medium-sized operators, who really genuinely do have a lot on the line, just to keep them going and, and to be that support mechanism for, for them. So particularly if they're employing staff, you know, they're probably, they don't have access to EAP and those kinds of things, but they do, they do all have a regional tourism organisation and we can be there for those operators to provide that support for them. Mm. That's amazing. Thank you. That's a great tip. So, hey, on a bit more of an upbeat note, and, and I'm really glad we did cover that subject because it's one of those taboo su- subjects that doesn't always get covered. But anyway, Lauren, I'm heading to Christchurch soon and I'm really excited to see how far the city has come. So what can you tell me about the exciting things happening in your city in the next few months, apart from the ones I'm obviously going to, because I need to book some more tickets and come up and, yeah, I'm just joking. Tell me about <laughs> some exciting stuff happening in there and I'm going to the T20 and the Symphony and... Yeah, <laughs> lots of events. It's such a cool place to be. I think the thing about Christchurch that I find is it's constantly changing and evolving. The investment in the city is so amazing. So for example, the brand new hot pools at New Brighton opened just after lockdown so you can literally sit in a stunningly beautiful hot pot it costs 13 dollars to get in by the way like really affordable okay yeah. Uh, yeah and it overlooks the brighton pier and beach so just really gorgeous and, and amazing for that community because they've been really hard hit so it's you know mm. great kind of catalyst and incredible cafe there is that a council attraction lauren or is that it a is. private yeah, no right. council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a post-earthquake project to rejuvenate New Brighton, which is great. Awesome. As is Christchurch Adventure Park. So that's one of our other kind of post-quake attractions, which is epic. Great yeah, mountain right. biking. You can also just walk up if you want to burn off some drinks neighbors. Um, you can walk up and then they let you catch the chairlift back down for free if you've managed to hike all the way up. So <laughs> they incentivize nice. you. I'm definitely doing that. And the boys are taking the chairlift up and riding down. So. Riding down, yeah. And then there's zip lining there too, which is really awesome. But in the central city, like Riverside Farmers Market is so cool. We were going to host the Trends Farewell Function there. It was going to be like this epic night out. Well, we may get there yet. Yeah. But it's, it's three stories of like food and craft beer and wine and everything you can imagine. It's kind of like, like a European indoor farmer's market, which is amazing. Yeah. I went and visited in October when I was down there and I was blown away. Like you'd talked to us about it and Yulia had talked to us about it when we'd been down. When was that earlier in the year last year? It might've been, yeah, even the year before we were down there for tech and it was great to see them open and what a cool, cool atmosphere. And it was really buzzing. It was great. Yeah. I mean, that one thing has increased foot traffic in Christchurch CBD by 15,000 people an hour. (gasps) Wow. Wow. Yeah. What a stat. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. So it's like the CBD is really coming back online, which is cool because after so long of it just being gone, it's just amazing. And it's been so designed to be like pedestrian friendly and walkable, or you can catch the tram around and just hop on and hop off, which is really cool. 
Yeah, and then heaps of epic events happening this summer. So Symphony, which you're going to Chambers, Black Flash T20, which is all blacks playing black cats, cats. in a T20 cricket match. Oh, um, apparently sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bread and Circus Buskers Festival, which is I in January, that. which is a few weeks long, which is cool. I'm trying to think. Heaps of stuff happening. Don't you have the female, do you have the female cricket world cup? That's been delayed by a year. But it's still so coming. It's still coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got quite a few big things like that, which is cool. I think you'll just find it to be, every time it changes, like I said, it's just really buzzy and happening. And Actually, COVID migration has really helped Christchurch too, because there's so many people returning. So the population has increased massively, and that's what we need. We need people. Yeah, mm. um, and I remember after the earthquake just being like, wow, Christchurch's got a really op- great opportunity here. Like they've got a clean slate. They can start, I mean, they brought out the paper cathedral and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was like, there's going to be some really innovative thing, businesses that come out of this and buildings and attractions. And I think we're starting to see them come to fruition now. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So Tapai Convention Centre will open uh, mid next year, the the stadium, the multi use arena, they're breaking ground in the new year, so that'll be completed in 2024. Metro sports facility will open in 2022, so quite big anchor projects like that, which kind of really en- enhance the city from a, a community and an events perspective and a tourism perspective. But yeah, I mean, incredible architecture. Really cool things happening. We've just had two rooftop bars open, which, like, I am so there. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, just people doing things differently. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. What are you hoping for in 2021, Lauren? Uh, Well, this year, I am hoping for trends to actually happen in the city. That'd be nice. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to jinx it. I'm not going to predict anything, I think, for this year. I'm just going to go into it and kind of go with the flow and ride it out and just wait and see what the world's going to throw at us. I'm hoping for uh, just a slightly better year than 2020. (laughs) A bit of a calmer year would be good, wouldn't it? Yep, calmer. Not as calm as, you know, like lockdown calm. No, no, not that. You know, no, I don't not, mean that sort not of calm. That, <laughs> not that freaky, oh, I'm stuck inside calm. <laughs> but like just no kind of major big events or life changes or, oh, sorry, my dog. <laughs> I said that right as I'm like, no frights. And he gives me a fright. <laughs> Okay, well, Lauren, that brings us to the quickfire round. So I don't know, have you listened to the show? Hopefully you have, and you'll know that you have to just answer with whatever pops into your head first. You can be like nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone gets nervous on this. You don't have to be. Okay, when you're ready. Okay, here we go. So summer or winter? Summer. Mountains or ocean? Uh, Ocean. Mm. Favorite color? Green. Oh, mine too. I already said red. Okay, cool. North Island or South Island? South Island. Come on. Of course. <laughs> Skiing or snowboarding? Oh, uh, both only because I just went back to skiing after 20 years of snowboarding. <laughs> so skiing ah. now. Yoga or CrossFit? Uh, depends on the day and the time of the month. <laughs> 
difficult. Uh, vodka shots or tequila? Uh, it depends on the day or the time. <laughs> <laughs> All the time of day. Yeah. Favourite place in New Zealand? Nelson. Ah, nice. Favourite place in the world? Ooh. Oh, God. I don't know. It's a whole world to explore. That's a big one. <laughs> Nelson. <laughs> don't worry, I said the same thing. I did exactly the same. Able Taz, Able Taz. Okay, uh, funniest play, place in the world where you've got the funniest story to tell? Oh, my God, me. Everywhere. <laughs> Munich. Rishikesh. And I- <laughs> yeah, Rishikesh. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, and the one thing that you are most proud of uh my little man (laughs) yeah he's gorgeous yeah he's pretty awesome oh so lauren that ends our show for today and it has been a bit of a long one for our listeners, but thanks for hanging in there. And it's been well worth hearing your story. I've really appreciated you sharing so much of your you know, life story with us and mm. some of the things that you've been through in your career. So thank you very much for doing that. And long may you continue inspiring others because I know that you definitely do. Mm. So thank you for joining us on the Destinate NZ show today. We'll be back next Wednesday. And once again, we have a very interesting guest lined up for you. But until then, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you've enjoyed the show. So um, until next time, ka kite. Thanks for joining us. Ka kite.